Join me, if you would, in Psalm 37, if you haven't gotten there yet. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach tonight. I'm going to deal with something in this message um, that has caused countless wounds. Um, some of those wounds have been physical. Uh, some of those wounds have been emotional. Uh, others have been spiritual. It kills people. It turns children into rebels. It disintegrates homes. It divides churches. Really, its destructiveness cannot be denied. It contributes to the majority of all homicides committed by family members. It is a contributing factor in nearly all, if not all, uh, acts of domestic violence and child abuse. And it's because of those things that David wrote what he wrote in verse 8 of Psalm 37 when he said, Cease from anger and forsake wrath fret not thyself in any wise to do evil look at that first sentence again cease from anger and forsake wrath listen to me tonight church anger is a destroyer it is the most potentially destructive emotion in any relationship. A few years ago, I preached on anger, and the following day, I received an email. And I asked then, a couple of years ago, when I got that email, if I could use this person's story and they granted me permission, and I have used this story on a number of occasions over the last couple of years. And here's what they wrote. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a deacon and taught a Sunday school class. But behind closed doors, he was a very angry man who let his emotions control him. We would go to church and pretend. But as soon as we got home, everything fell apart. I remember growing up praying my dad would come home as a tickle monster, not mean dad. It was bearable until my older brother moved out of the house then I received the brunt of his anger. I thought surely someone would find out about us, but no one ever did. I became so full of hatred and anger towards my dad that it made me a horrible person. I would take pictures and threaten to show the cops so they would put my dad in jail, but my mom would beg me not to. I thought if I could just show him what kind of man he was and what he was doing to me, that I would be able to change him. 
Instead, it just destroyed me from the inside out. I was 17 when I got saved. My life started to change, and for a while it seemed better. But inside, I still hated my dad so much, there was no room for Christ. It was like the seeds falling onto the rocky ground. The fruit started to spring up, and Christ started to change me, but he hit the rock, and I wouldn't let him penetrate anymore. So my changed life started to die off. Before long, we were back into the same rut, only this time it was much worse. I tried to run away, but my mom would beg me to come home. The next year, I went to church camp, more hard-hearted than the year before, but this year I was a child of God. I went through the whole week angry and bitter until the last night when I was talking to one of the counselors who was excited to go home and use what they had learned. I started crying and saying I didn't want to go back. They took me to the pastor who couldn't believe what I was telling him. He told me what my dad did was wrong but that the anger I had was destroying me. He told me I had to let it go, but I was scared. I knew I was so full of anger and bitterness that if I let it go, I would be completely empty. To this, my pastor responded, it's only then that the Lord can truly fill you up. That night I prayed and really, truly let go. To say there was a weight lifted off my shoulders is an understatement. My life changed in that moment. I went from being angry and mean to caring about souls and the things of the Lord. I can't say that I instantly started loving my dad. But the process started in that very moment. Though that true story is about an angry man, in my experience as a pastor and as a domestic violence volunteer and as a police officer, I have learned that anger does not discriminate. It resides in the heart and soul of every human being, be they male or female. There are a lot of angry moms and wives and daughters, as well as husbands and fathers and sons. And there are any number of reasons why its destructive force can be unleashed. And I, well, this is this all introduction, and we'll get into the, the message part of it. But here are some reasons why uh, the destructive forces of evil, of, of anger, might be unleashed. It might be that a person gets angry because they don't get their way. 
We often see this in children, don't we? I mean, just go to the toddler nursery. It'll be there tonight. And it'll be there tomorrow in your home if you have a toddler. Their will gets crossed, and they explode. But unfortunately, the problem is not limited to children. A person may get angry in order to control. Many husbands and fathers have learned that anger makes their spouse and or their children back off and give in. Many, many a man has walked away from an angry confrontation with his wife or with his children feeling pretty good about his ability to lead his family and feeling pretty proud of how they follow his leadership. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Control gained through anger is generally good only as long as the controller is around. Nobody really respects the person who controls through intimidation. Whether it's their spouse, their parents, their boss, their pastor, or whoever. Another reason a person gets angry is in response to hurt or mistreatment. A person gets angry because their pride is wounded. You've heard it said before, hurt people hurt people. A person may get angry as a spillover from unresolved guilt. The person who lives with a guilty conscience often wields a criticizing tongue. Such a person is continually engaged in the subconscious task of trying to transfer his guilt or her guilt to someone else. People get angry in order to set wrong things right. They often call it righteous indignation. But in truth, more times than not, it's nothing but a thinly veiled religious temper tantrum. But because it stems from a sense of justice, it feels right. And therefore it's justified. Well, Pastor, doesn't the, the Bible say, be ye angry? Yes, it does. But those words are followed by these words. And sin not. In other words, be careful that you don't sin in your anger. And as far as I know, the only person who could ever pull that off perfectly was Jesus. Anybody walked on water lately? Turn water into wine? Stones into bread. All right, I'm speaking to the right crowd then. There are two common mistakes made in the practice of what people call righteous indignation. 
First of all, they transfer the rightness of their anger to whatever action they choose to take. Action powered by anger can cause terrible destruction. Did you get that? Action powered by anger can cause terrible destruction. Being right in our assessment of a wrong situation does not mean we are right in using any means possible to set the situation straight. Let me say that again. Being right in our assessment of a wrong situation does not mean we are right in using any means possible to set that situation straight. Although the anger may be justified, the action motivated by that righteous indignation may be just as, if not more wrong, destructive, and wicked in its hate and vengeance than the original injustice that stirred our anger. For example, murdering an abortion doctor because your assessment of abortion is that it's wrong, that it's murder, and that it's not right, and those things are true. Your assessment of abortion is correct. But that does not justify any means necessary to stop it. So, murdering a, an abortion doctor is not righteous indignation. It's murder. He was murdering on the inside, so he steps outside and you kill him, now you've murdered. You haven't performed a righteous deed. Now you take that and translate that into, into any situation. A, a, a teenager smarts off at their dad and his assessment of their action is wrong, and so he hits them. You're as wrong as the child was. That went over well. Could use some help here if you agree with any of this. So we can't let a right assessment of a wrong justify setting it straight by any means we choose. The second mistake we easily make under the halo of righteous indignation is considering all of our anger to be righteous. No matter what stirs our anger, our mental processors make it out to be a wrong of some sort. We, we come up with some wild-eyed idea and theory of why this was wrong. 
Maybe we didn't get our way. Or maybe our pride may have been wounded or we may be touchy as a result of carrying unresolved guilt. But in our minds, we turn the episode into a wrong that needs to be made right. And once our anger, listen, once our anger is justified, then amazingly so are our words and actions that follow. I guess what I'm really trying to say here, what I really want us to understand about our anger is simply this, more times than not, many more times than not, it's sin. It's sin. Doesn't matter what kind of twist you want to put on it, the bottom line is, more times than not, many more times than not, our anger is sin. So I want to address three types of wrong anger and what must be done about it. Number one, if you take a note, sudden anger must be controlled. You say, well, Frisia, I'm just one of those folks that fly off the handle. Well, let me just tell you something. You're seldom going to make a good landing. Amen. You know how I know that? Because the Bible says so. Now, it doesn't say it as cute as that. James says it like this, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. James 1.20 The wrath, the anger of man, does not work the righteousness of God. Tell me this tonight. When's the last time you did something that honored God when you were angry? Yeah, but preacher, it... I set that thing straight, and, and, and I, got the, I got the result I wanted. That's not, I didn't ask when's the last time you got the result you wanted for being angry. I said, when's the last time you honored God in your anger? You may have got what you wanted from your kids. You may have got what you wanted from your spouse. You may have got what you wanted from the business owner. You may have got what you wanted from your employee or your employer. That's not the question tonight. The question is, did you honor God? I don't care if you got what you wanted or not. Did you honor God? And the Bible says that the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. According to Proverbs 29, 22, anger doesn't produce any, anything that honors God. An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. Proverbs 14, 17, Solomon says this, He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. Not only does sudden anger produce sin and strife and foolishness, but it also causes loss. Listen to Proverbs 19, 19. A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. Translated, there's a price to pay for uncontrolled anger. It can cost you your wife. It can cost you your husband, your children, your marriage, your job, your testimony. 
It can cost you an opportunity to reach your lost family and friends. Here's what I'm telling you tonight. You best be careful. The point here is that sudden anger must be controlled. And there may be someone sitting here tonight who's thinking to themselves how hard they've tried to control their anger, but they've they've been unsuccessful. And if that's you, hang on. We're going to get to that later. In the meantime, let's consider a second truth. Sinful anger must be condemned. Sudden anger must be controlled. Sinful anger must be condemned. We've already talked about our attempts to justify our anger by calling it righteous indignation. But most of the time, again, that's not the case at all. It's just old-fashioned sinful anger. And it needs to be confessed as such and condemned. Listen to me tonight. It's not a weakness It's wickedness. So don't condone it. Condemn it. Well, Pastor, how do I know if my anger is sinful? Let me give you a few things to consider. If it's directed toward a person and not a problem, it's sinful. If it produces a desire to be hurtful, then it's sinful. If if it won't go away... It's sinful, and I'm telling you, it will lead to other sins, as we'll see here in just a minute. If it leads us to return evil for evil, it's wrong. If there's not a righteous cause, it's sinful. If it results in evil speaking and argumentation, it's sinful. And most of us here tonight are intelligent enough to know if our anger is sinful. But at the same time, most of us are prideful enough, we're not willing to acknowledge it. But regardless, listen, regardless of whether we acknowledge and condemn it, God does. And we'll be answerable to Him one day. So sudden anger must be controlled. Sinful anger must be condemned. And then stubborn anger must be conquered. Go to the book of Ephesians. If you're still with me, say amen. Amen. The book of Ephesians, chapter 4 and verse 26. Stubborn anger must be conquered. The first part of verse 26. Be angry and sin not. Now if it were not possible to be angry without sinning, then this verse wouldn't be in the Bible. So we know it's possible. My contention, however, is that it's not as common as some people claim that it is. Look at the second part of that verse. 
Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Here's the stubbornness of anger. In a group this size, in a congregation this size here tonight, I would venture to guess that there's at least one person here tonight who is angry about something for one reason or another. It may go back to something that happened sometime earlier this week. Or maybe as recent even as last night or even this morning. When you and your spouse or you and your parents or you and your in-laws or you and your employer had a disagreement. For others, you may have been carrying your anger for years. You're angry at somebody for what they did to you. You're angry at them because they did you dirty in a business deal. You're angry because of what they did to you at church. You're angry at somebody in your family because of the way they treated you. You haven't shouted at them. You haven't lost your temper or, or done them any harm. But you're angry nonetheless. And whether your anger is hours, days, weeks, months, or years old, you need to conquer it, or it will conquer you. In his book, None of These Diseases, Dr. S.I. McMillan writes this about the power of anger to captivate and conquer us. The moment I harbor anger toward a man, I become his slave. I can't enjoy my work anymore because he even controls my thoughts. My resentment produces too much stress, uh, too many stress hormones in my body, and I become fatigued after only a few hours of work. My anger hounds me wherever I go. I can't escape its tyrannical grasp on my mind. The man I am angry with may be many miles from my home, but more cruel than any slave driver, he whips my thoughts into such a frenzy that my inner spring mattress becomes a rack of torture. Verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. When you and I have unresolved anger issues, it's equivalent to saying to the devil, come on in. Come on into my home, into my marriage, into my relationships, into my church, into my workplace. Come on in and have your way. When you let the sun go down on your wrath, your heart becomes a beachhead for the devil to constantly attack your life. And here's how it works. Look at verse 31. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So when you refuse to let go of anger and give place to the devil, Paul says it results in bitterness. Bitterness is that feeling of resentment that we feel when we've been wronged. The writer of Hebrews calls it a root of bitterness. And look what the root of bitterness produces, wrath. Wrath can be best understood to be an explosion on the outside of the feelings on the inside. Wrath is that seething and boiling that goes on in our soul when we remain bitter towards someone. So bitterness produces wrath, which is eventually displayed outwardly in anger. Anger can be displayed by the words that we say or the things that we do. Bitterness leads to wrath, wrath leads to anger, anger leads to clamor. And and be reminded, this is all because we didn't deal with our anger in the first place. And so now these are the things that, that it's producing, and now we're to the point where we're arguing, and we're fussing, and we're quarreling, and we're brawling, and we're insulting, and we're using boisterous behavior, and we're talking loud. And at some point in the midst of your clamor, you result to uh, evil speaking, or it means slander. It's the it's, it's slanderous, malicious, injurious speech. And it happens all the time. In the heat of battle, which would have never happened in the first place had you not let the sun go down on your wrath, you say something that you would normally never say. And that certainly in your heart, you don't mean. I wish I'd never married you. I hate you. I wish you would have never been born. You're so stupid. That's evil speaking. And it's the result of unresolved anger. This speech, this kind of speech, is in direct contradiction to the kind Paul says ought to be coming from our lips. Look at verse 29. To let not corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying 
that it may minister grace unto your hearers. How does you're so stupid, or I wish you'd never been born, or I wish I'd never married you. How is that edifying? How is that distributing grace? Finally, Paul mentions malice, which is the general term for uh, evil that is the root of, of all vices. So it's very true. If you give the, the devil an inch, he'll become your ruler. He will. So how do we keep that from happening? What is the answer to anger? Well, first, let me say that you can, you can and have controlled your sudden outburst of anger. And you know when you've done it? You've done it when the stakes have been high enough. How many times have you wanted to explode at somebody at work? A supervisor, a manager, an owner, I mean, you just wanted to, to just unload on them, but you didn't because the stakes were too high. You knew it would cost you your job. You've seen this illustration many, many times. I mean, you're just in a knockdown, drag out, verbal drag out at home, and all of a sudden your phone rings. Oh, hello, how you doing? Yeah, it's good, man. Yeah, good, good. Huh? What'd you just do? You just controlled your anger. So don't tell me, preach, it's just how I am. I, I, just, I just can't help it. That's a lie. I'm sorry, but that's a lie. When the stakes are high enough, you can control your anger. You can choose not to become suddenly and sinfully angry if you want to. And church, listen to me. If you can choose that, then you can choose to walk in the Spirit and not the flesh. Truth of the matter is, if you're easily angered and often fly off the handle, then you're not walking with the Lord. Period. End of discussion. And until you start getting serious about your walk with God, you will continue to hurt those around you with your angry outburst. At the heart of every problem is a problem of the heart. Our heart. We don't get angry because our mom and dad got angry when we were growing up. We don't get angry because our spouse or children or boss made us angry. We get angry because we have a bad heart. 
Amen, preacher. We have a bad heart. And the only thing that can change a bad heart is the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit that Paul mentions in Galatians 5 is temperance or self-control. I've told you this story before. We, uh, back when we lived down on Grant Street, we had this, this little heart and container it was shaped like a heart and inside of it were were I believe little hearts with the fruits of the spirit on them Katie and Tiffany already smiling and so at night in our family devotions we would dump those out and this night it happened to be Tiffany's turn to to pick those up in order and put them in the container and so she got right down to the last one or maybe not the last, where does temperance fall? Isn't the last one? Somebody rattles off real quick. Help me, Brother Kay. I think it's the last one. Anyway, she got there, and she started looking around, and she said, we lost temperance. How often does that happen? We lose control of ourselves. Paul said that is a temperance or self-control is a sign that we're right with God and that we're walking in the Spirit. And your life will be marked by self-control and your sudden sinful fits of rage will become a thing of the past. I promise you. So let's talk for a moment about stubborn or lingering anger. Mark Twain is quoted as saying, Anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. So let, let's be honest. Your lingering anger toward whoever it is is only hurting you. I guarantee you the person you're angry with doesn't lay, in, doesn't lay awake at night. Oh, they're mad at me. They're angry at me. Newsflash, they're not even thinking about you. But you're thinking about them. You roll over on this side and you think about them. You roll over on that side and you think about them. And you huff at night and, and you don't rest well at night because you're thinking about them. Friend, you need to let it go. And here's how, real quick, first of all, recognize it. If it's there, go ahead, acknowledge it. Oh, preacher, I don't want to think that bad about myself. Well, you need to think that bad about yourself. Your failure to deal with it has not and will not make it go away. It's going to continue to control you by destroying your happiness, your health, your home, and everything else. Why? Because anger is a destroyer. Secondly, repent of it. It's every bit as wrong as what happened to you in the first place. In all reality, it's a pride issue. 
You need to humble yourself before God, confess your sin, turn from it, and leave it there. Thirdly, you must resist the devil. James said that if you'll resist the devil, he'll flee from you. And listen, this is important because he's going to make sure that you don't forget what they did to you and how wrong it was and how you deserve to get even and on and on and on and on. And you've got to learn to resist what the devil is trying to put in your mind. Ultimately, you have to rely on the Lord. You've got to learn to rely on the Lord. In Luke chapter 19, we have what may be one of the most overlooked miracles on Palm Sunday. You remember Jesus sent two of his disciples uh, into the village to fetch a, a donkey for him to, to ride on. And you remember he told them you're going to find a colt there. And he was very specific. He said it's going to be one that has never been written before. I mean, we're talking like a long-eared version of a bucking bronc. I mean, we're talking wild. But with Jesus on board, what would have before been untamed was tamed. And the same power that Jesus used to tame that wild animal is the same power that he will use to tame the animal of anger that may be residing in you. Now let me finish the story I started sharing with you at the beginning of the message. When I got home from camp, I told my mom what happened, but I never told my dad. I wanted to show him. I realized that this whole time God had been trying to change my dad, but I and my hatred were too busy trying to change him that I was blocking God. I completely stepped back and gave it over to Christ, realizing that my efforts were making things worse. From that moment on, my dad started to change. He became an amazing man of God who realized his shortcomings and sought help for his anger problems. Can't tell you how many times he's come to me in tears and apologized. I love and respect my dad, not only as a dad, but as a spiritual advisor. My family was headed for disaster, and I was right in front, but because I chose to stop hating, Christ completely turned us around. On my wedding day, 
I was able to proudly hold his arm and kiss his cheek, knowing that because of forgiveness, I had a godly, loving, kind father. And then she ends by saying this, thank God for grace. Grace to heal, the grace to forgive, the grace to change. And to that I say, amen and amen. Thank God for grace. I debated on whether or not to say this, I'll say it. And I've been pretty open about this. Had my daughter been a little older, she could have probably written an email just like that. You say, well, how do you know you can change? I've been there and done that. I was an angry man. I was in the ministry. I was on the staff. I was an angry man. And I used to convince myself it's because my mom was an angry woman. And I didn't know any better. God would never let me off the hook with that. You know why I was an angry husband and angry father? Because I had a bad heart. A bad heart. That's why I say thank God for grace. The grace to forgive. The grace to change. I'm telling you, you can change. You've got to get serious about your walk with the Lord. And you've got to learn to be spirit-controlled. You know, there are things I wish I could go back and change. Too many to tell. It almost, it almost cost me my first son. But again, thank God for grace. And God restored our relationship. And I'm thankful for that. I'm telling you, anger is a destroyer. So let's deal with it.